हेलो एवरीवन आई एम डॉक्टर आंचल मखीजा एंड वेलकम टू आर फर्स्ट पॉडकास्ट ट्रांसप्लांट जर्नीज इजेंट इट अस्पिशियस डे टुडे एज द पोर्टल सेवन 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 हैज ओपन इजेंट इट येस सो आई बिलीव दैट यू नो वी ऑल हैव अ कॉमन गोल विच इज हेल्थी लिविंग बट टू अचीव दैट कॉमन गोल वी ऑल हैव डिफरेंट जर्नीज एंड यूनिक जर्नीज So my mentor Daisaku Ikeda has once said that getting sick or ill is extremely painful. It is, no? But it gives us a chance to rediscover our life and faith. So today we have our first guest with us who has rediscovered his life, Mr. Thomas Dodds. He is a Canadian living in USA. he battled this disease for more than 39 years and he got his liver transplant 10 almost 10 years back so i welcome you mr thomas on our podcast so how are you feeling today and thank you for having me on your podcast and being your first guest very 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 happy to be here thank you so much for you know coming and showing up today So uh Mr Thomas please tell us little about yourself and tell us uh, you know at which year at which age that rare disease of liver have been diagnosed and uh, you know at which year you got your transplant done Yeah I'm a uh well I'm almost 50 um I'm a professional I work in 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 the data management area I'm a consultant But when it comes to my knowledge of liver disease, I was diagnosed with a rare liver disease called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency at birth in 1974, and I lived with onset of liver disease and it progressed till I was almost 39 years old when I had a transplant in 2012, and that transplant was a living donor transplant. So as we go, you'll you'll learn more about that. that must be hard for you so you know can you please tell us that how was the diagnosis happened and what did you feel how you you know what did you feel about receiving that news and you know what what happened at that moment exactly do you remember those crucial moments well most people who end up with a liver transplant usually either get them nowadays uh as as infants or young children if they have a birth defect let's call it that for now or they receive a devastating diagnosis later in life and need a transplant under an urgent set of circumstances i'm old enough that i don't fit into either of those categories um i was diagnosed at birth therefore i've always known that i was a liver patient that has mm-hmm. had an effect on me as i live i've had to make choices that are you might say liver smart liver healthy um and and going through life uh with with always that as a, a you might say something in the in the front for for my for part of my mind um has has produced a, di- a different life for me than normal um not a hard not a hard life per se um but a different life Hmm. I agree to that. I agree. Definitely it's very difficult to, you know, accept and cope up. So, uh can you tell us a little more about what this rare disease is and you know, 
it, you, you already mentioned that it happens in children these days. So what is this disease and, you know, how it happens? Alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency is a genetic condition. So you need two parents, uh, each giving a bad gene uh, to the child. What that gene does is genes are the instructions for, for how our cells work. Um, the liver cell produces a protein and the people who have the two bad genes, if I'm going to be really simple about it, the people who have the two bad genes end up with alpha-1 producing a badly formed protein. Now, there are some people who don't produce enough of the good protein and they end up with lung issues like emphysema, COPD, things like that. There are other people who produce too much of the bad protein. And because the protein is malformed, it doesn't slide past the other one beside it, you might say in production. And so they get all tangled up, make knots and take over liver cells, thus killing the cell. A, a dead <laughs> liver cell turns into scar tissue. And we know that as cirrhosis. So for 39 years, give or take, I was producing enough of the good protein to keep my lungs going. I don't have mm -hmm. any lung issues, but I produced too much of the bad protein and it slowly took over my liver. Hmm. Right, right, right. So it is a balance between a good and a bad protein. Yeah. Thomas, please tell us that, you know, what kept you going for almost 39 years before getting a transplant? And, uh, you know, what, what were your beliefs that holded you at, at that time, at, you know, at cert, certain, cert, such big, big time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, how do you deal with, uh, you might say, your mortality uh, from, from a very young age? Um, yes. I, I can recall, I can recall going to many doctors and uh, them saying, well, we don't know. Uh, that's not a great thing to hear when you're five, six, seven years old, and you can you can remember it. Um, and then, you know, as I got older and medical technology started to uh, advance, I would hear things like, well, we hope he lives long enough for transplant. Um, so how, how do you live? How, how do you live like that? Well, I was adopted because of my liver disease, largely. Um, I was adopted into a Christian family, so there was a deep belief in God, a deep faith, um, and there was always the sense that something greater was at work. Um, if I transfer or, or, or kind of traverse back in my life, I end up seeing events in my life and things in my life that don't add up statistically and I don't believe they are by chance I think they are in an ordering such that it's producing a person who is uniquely you might say uniquely equipped to to share a story like this to provide hope to other people to to give uh, a sense that yeah we, we're not we're not just here by random chance. Um, yes. I, I don't believe in chance. And if I did, I'd buy you a lotto ticket. <laughs> so, 
So really, when it comes down to it, it it's it's a it's a case of faith, a uh, case of believing uh, that 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 God is there. He knows. He cares. Um, and then living your life to that, um, seeking a purpose, know, knowing that there is a purpose, seeking it out, and then once having a a, a, a good grasp of it is is to live it, uh, and that's what I try to do. Um, so, did did I have that all the way through, even as a as a child? No. Um, when I look back. I can see where I kind of doubted it. I was in the fog. I was this. I was that. But looking back over it now, I can see how those things are stitched together, and it produces a story that that I have. Yes, I totally believe you, and I totally, you know, agree to that. That faith is something which you know keeps us holding. To this, I, you know, I also want to share, uh, Thomas, that. Uh, uh, I was also going through such a period of my time where I was on dialysis for almost five years, and you know I have applied for transplants again and again, again and again. I went there, I got the call, it did not happen. You know, for some some moments I feel shattered, but then again faith kept me going because I had a belief that something big is coming up, and indeed it happened. On my birthday this year, this transplant happened. You know, in May, so. I totally agree with you. What keeps us going is our faith, our belief in, uh, you know, in in any any power you you believe in. It, it can be, you know, Jesus. It can be Buddha. It can be anyone. So thank you so much for sharing this. So now uh, after this, I want to ask you that you know what were your high points at this moment, and what were your lowest points of you know of those years. That's an interesting question too, because we tend to like to talk about the high points, but there are low points. Um, I don't look back at my life and think it was terrible. No, was it smooth sailing the whole time? No, um, because there's glory in it. There's also grit. Because there's joy in it. There's also pain. Um, high points or, or glory and joy points, maybe. Um, you know, making it to, to age five. Um, I have a picture where I'm standing with my little bag and I'm I'm heading off to school uh, for the very first time. I wasn't supposed to live that long, mm-hmm. and, and most kids get a picture as they're heading off to school, and and it's just you know it's it's the accomplishment of going to school. Uh, mine's the accomplishment of surviving and going to school. Uh, that's a big one. Um, you know, going going off to to. To university, uh, pursuing higher education, I have the better part of four degrees, um, which, in in a you might say a career liver patient, um, there's a lot of room for toxicity, which produces a lot of mental issues, uh, cognitive issues. I didn't get any of that. Uh, I, I think that's a high point um, that I was spared. You know, even the hepat hepatic encephalopathy uh, and things like that, even though I had had liver disease far longer than anybody I had ever known. Um, You know, high points, uh, I did get married, uh, have children. Um, They do have, they do have alpha one from the perspective that they have a bad gene from me and a good one from their mother. So humor, humorously, I used to ask them why they were misbehaving and they say, well, we got the bad gene from you, dad. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, you know, high point is, is children. Children's a high point. Uh, the fact is that they're healthy today is a high point. Um, you know, and, and, and as, as I look most recently, uh, I'm, I'm embarking on writing my story as a book. Um, and to, to be now, you know, 10 and a half years out, out of transplant to be as healthy as I am um, because transplant's not a cure. Uh, a lot of people think it is, but it's not. You're trading one set of medical circumstances for another. Every day's an adjustment. You as a transplant recipient know that. Um, yes. And most people look at us who, who are doing well and they're like, oh, you're cured. No, <laughs> we're not cured. <laughs> we've, we've learned to overcome one set of circumstances by trading it for another. Uh, low points, um, low points is, is where my liver decompensated. Um, I can remember getting a call from the doctors noting that I had diabetes. Most of the people I knew that I had diabetes were old. <laughs> At the time, I was maybe 30 or so. Um, and, 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 and honestly, you know, as I, I was driving down the road in, in a, in a Jeep and I had the top down and it was sunny out and that I can recall this vividly and I'm crying like a little kid. Um, it, cause it was devastating to me. I had kind of pushed my liver condition so far down and was living life and, you know, living large only to find out that you know, I had this. So that produced, you know, almost like a mini depression. Um, now I've been, I've been a diabetic now for, for close to, to 20 years after that. Um, and I've, you know, got it under control, but again, every day is a, a, an adjustment. So what do you do? Right. You learn to adjust and you roll with it. Um, so a low point turns into a high point. Um, another one is um, end up with um, the lack of fluid transfer because the liver is basically turning to concrete through, uh, through cirrhosis. So I start putting on a, uh, what they call ascites. I'm starting to build up plasma in, in my abdomen. And I'm having to go and get that tapped, drained off, every couple of weeks and, and they're taking off 11 to 13 liters of fluid. So think 24 to 26 pounds of fluid building up in your body over a matter of weeks. Um, and it, it, it gets, it gets hard to breathe. It gets, gets hard to move. You're cold all the time. Um, you get to the point where you are, you're very aware that this doesn't end well. There's, there's, there's no good outcome. You don't overcome this. You're in right. end state liver disease is what they call it. Right. Um, and so I found that very difficult, um, especially because my children were young at the time. So I have, you know, very little memory of, of being able to run around with the kids, um, because of that. Uh, so it's a little point. Um, the other one is I was having my ascites tapped one time <laughs> and uh, I noticed because I, I, I studied um, 
what was happening to me. I was very involved and I would encourage anybody who has a chronic illness like this, uh, who is, you know, maybe pre-transplant, you want to pay attention as much as you can because I picked up my bag of fluid and I figured out that I could walk the hallways, a brisk walk, and I would drain my fluid a lot faster than the other patients around me who were getting tapped. Well, as I walked, I noticed a swirl in one of my bags and I stopped the nurse and asked her about it. And she said, no, nah, don't worry about it. Sometimes you get a little albumin, you'll be fine. Don't be good. Well, I happened to see a, a doctor in the hallway and I stopped and asked him. He told me to go straight back to my room. What I had discovered in my own fluid was very, very early stages of spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. It's an extremely painful condition mm -hmm. if let bloom. So again, a low point turns into a high point. The low point is I'm told I have about a year to live. Um, I'm told that I need a transplant at that point. I ask how long the waiting list is, and they say, well, it's three and a half years in the area that we're in. Well, I can do the math, and I figure out three and a half years is a lot longer than 12 months. It's a low point. You, you, there's an end to this, and, and you've arrived at you know, the, final, the final descent, you might say. So that, you know, those are... Those are the big low points uh, for me. And, and you'll notice that I did not mention transplant itself as a low point because it's not. It's not. It could have been, but it's not. I totally, you know, uh, feeling so overwhelmed as well as, you know, when you have beautifully said turning your low points into high points and, you know, this is something only I think people, they want to do it, but sometimes they give up, they can't do it. So, of course, they will be inspired from your uh, your journey and uh, they, they definitely will make their low point into the high point. So, in the last question, we will leave a suspense uh, on what happened post-transplant in the life of Thomas Dodds. So, for that, you have to stay tuned for our second episode. Uh, so, Thomas, thank you so much for sharing your life beautifully of your, those 39 years into our podcast. And I'm so excited for your journey post-transplant. So, how are you feeling? Thank you for having me uh, on this inaugural uh, episode. I feel very honored. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to uh, continue uh, on unfolding uh, my story uh, for you and um, you know as as someone who is 10 years out of, of transplant I've, I've walked this road and uh, I can speak to it fairly confidently even though um, you know a, a kidney recipient and a, and a liver recipient are are very different life um, there are there is a lot of commonality um, especially uh, for, for us transplant people. Um, and that includes you cardiac and, and lung ones too. Thank you so much. It was, the pleasure was all ours for, you know, to, you know, hear your story and feel it, actually feel it. So thank you so much once again and stay tuned everyone sure. for his journey post-transplant.